I'd like to invite your attention to the book, first of all, of 1 Kings chapter 16. We'll have two passages that we'll read for our text this morning. First of which, 1 Kings chapter 16, and we'll begin reading in verse 29. And in the thirtieth and eighth year of Asa, king of Judah, began Ahab, the son of Omri, to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria twenty and two years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. And it came to pass, as it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. The second passage is found in 1 Kings chapter 22, and we'll begin reading there in verse 41. 1 Kings chapter 22, beginning in verse 41. And Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa, began to reign over Judah in the fourth year of Ahab, king of Israel. Jehoshaphat was thirty and five years old when he began to reign, and he reigned twenty and five years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shilhai. And he walked in all the ways of Asa his father. He turned not aside from it, doing that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. Nevertheless, the high places that were taken away were not taken away, for the people offered and burnt off incense yet on high places. And Jehoshaphat made peace with the king of Israel. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat and his might that he showed and how he warred are not written, aren't thou, they written, excuse me, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? And the remnant of the Sodomites, which remained in the days of his father Asa, he took out of the land. Barring my mistakes, correctly read, reads those passages of scripture that will introduce three kings for us in our study this morning. One of which is Asa. And Asa, as we have on the board, reigned for 41 years. And Asa reigned over Judah, and he was considered a good king. What we're going to find out, though, is even though that he was a good king, he made mistakes like you and I sometimes make mistakes when we look to our own wisdom and our own might and our own knowledge. Sometimes we take matters into our own hands. Asa is a perfect example of how we ought not to do that. Secondly, his son Jehoshaphat reigned 25 years also over Judah, and he too was a good king. And finally, Ahab, the one that we know quite well, I'm sure, the one that married Jezebel, an evil king that reigned over Israel, for 22 years. We'll talk about these three kings and some specific things that we can learn from their lives uh, from, the, from our history. You know, when the Bible says that the things that were written aforetime were written for our learning, sometimes when I put together these studies from the Old Testament by way of history, sometimes I don't know how much detail that I should put in regarding each king and so forth and so on. And so I really don't want us to get lost in all the little details of their life. What I want to be able to do is to leave here and learn something about the good points of Asa, the good points of Jehoshaphat, 
and also their negative points. And secondly, when the Bible says that regarding Ahab that he provoked God to anger more than all the kings of Israel, what was it about him and what were the things that he did that made him so corrupt and so evil so that we can leave this place and learn something from these stories? First of all, regarding Asa, the Bible would record that Asa was truly a righteous man. And because of that, Judah enjoyed peace for the first 10 years of his reign. Asa used this, good, this time for good advantage as well. For example, he reformed Judah by destroying the idols which had been built during the years of Rehoboam and Abijam. He also commanded the people of Judah to serve God. You know, just as a historical aside, it's amazing to me that within 20 years following the death of King Solomon and only 60 years after the death of David, the greatest king that Israel had ever known, it's interesting to me that every single town bar none in Judah had its own high place where incense was burned and offerings were made to false gods. That is a picture of what can happen when error enters the picture. Notice, 20 years following the death of the wisest man that ever lived save Jesus Christ, and 60 years after the death of the greatest king that Israel ever knew, that there were high places in every city in Judah where they offered and burnt incense to false gods. Asa destroyed all of those. And as a result, the kingdom enjoyed peaceful times. The scripture says also that the faithful people that were still living in Israel, they saw that God was with Judah, and what they began to do is they began to migrate south. And the scripture says that large members from Israel joined Asa and his kingdom at this point in time. So the population of the two kingdoms is much closer in size than at the beginning. You remember at the very beginning when they were split between ten and two tribes, you have Israel having a greater population in the kingdom, that small kingdom, and you have quite a, a, a smaller number in Judah to the south. But because that there were still people in Israel, re regardless of all of the evilness and the wickedness of the kings that reigned over Israel, there were still people in Israel that had a good heart and wanted to serve God acceptably. There were still people in Israel that were perceptive enough to see that God was with Judah and they wanted to be among God's people. They wanted to be where God was and they wanted to do that which was right. So they began to migrate south and now you have the two kingdoms which were once lopsided in size much more similar in size now after 10 years of peacetime the calm was finally broken by the invasion of a fearsome army led by Zerah the Cushite or also the Ethiopians you know what's interesting about this? If there's a picture of armies that are going against one another that, that are a picture of David and Goliath, it certainly would be this. You have the might, you have the power, you have the experience, you have the knowledge, you have all of that of the Ethiopians or the Cushites, and they're going to invade, led by Zerah, Judah, and you have little old Judah there, and here it is that the Bible says that they go to take their stand against the Cushites, against those mighty Ethiopians. Now, interesting. 
It's interesting what Asa decides to do. Asa does the only thing he can do. Asa did what we just did a moment ago. Asa found himself desperate, and Asa prayed. The Bible says that he said these words. Lord, there is none, as one translation renders it. There's, one tra- there's no one like you to help the weak against the mighty. We are counting on you, and in your name we have come out against this vast army. Oh, Jehovah, you are God. But notice what he says. He says, do not let men prevail against you. The heart of Asa was still on what God wanted. Desperate times sometimes cause for us to take stock in the things that are going on around us. Sometimes we try to exhaust all of our own wisdom and knowledge and the wisdom and knowledge of all of our peers. But listen, we need in desperate times to do the only thing that's going to do us some good, and that is to do what Asa does, and Asa pours his heart out to God. Well, the Bible says that God gave Asa and his army a great victory. The Cushites were destroyed in great numbers, and they were crushed before the Lord and his forces. Shortly after these events, the prophet Azariah comes to Asa with a message from God, and this is what he said. He says, Listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord has been with you because you have been faithful. If you continue to seek God, he will be with you. But if you turn away from God, he will turn away from you. You know, this is the same exact message that God, through Samuel, told Saul. This is exactly the same message that God, through the prophet, told David. It's the exact same message that God, through a prophet, told Solomon. Nothing has changed. You know, I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes in this life, Now listen to me. I want to say something encouraging to you. Sometimes in this life, God's people grow discouraged. Sometimes we just get discouraged. You know, I realize that we have a strong number of folks that are here this morning. We do. We have a strong number that's a member of this congregation. We have some of our folks that are visiting other places. Some are ill and so forth. But if you took every single one of us and you put us in this building at the same time, though we would have a greater sized crowd than we do today, it's quite small in comparison to numbers that are found in the religious world and in the world itself. And sometimes God's people can grow discouraged when it seems as though our efforts go, don't go to fruition. Let me just say this, though. The promise is still the same. God will never leave our side if we never leave God. You know, when we talk about great mighty men of old, like Samson, you know, God was with Samson on every single time, every single thing, every single challenge. When it appeared that he was standing alone, God was with him and God blessed him with mighty strength and all of that and courage and valor. But there came a day when he left God. And the Bible says that he knew not that the the Lord was departed from him. The point is this. God leaves us when we leave him. It doesn't make any difference how sad the circumstances look. Hold tight of your faith and hang on because as long as we never leave the Lord, he will never leave our side. 
That's exactly what the prophet was telling Asa. If you stand by me, if your people stand by me, I will stand by you. But if you depart from me, I will depart from you. When does God leave us? Only when we leave God. You know, there was about 14 years of peace after this particular event in history, after that battle of the Ethiopians. But you know, Asa is a human being. He showed great faith when it came to this battle. He praised to God when it came to this battle. He 100% realized he's in dire straits and he needs God. 14 years of peace happened from this point down to this point. When Baasha, a little king over Israel, reigned for a short time, he also was a wicked, evil king. And while he was reigning, he decides that he's going to go and attack Judah. You know, I don't know why, and the Bible doesn't say, it just says the facts, but I don't know why that Asa didn't just trust in God again. Why didn't he do that? This time, he does something else. In fact, the Bible says, instead of thinking about God and asking God for God's help, he seeks after another king, a Syrian king, and he makes a deal with him on the side. And he tells this Syrian king, he says, basically, as I paraphrase, I'll give you silver and gold from the temple treasures if you will go down and attack cities of the north and west of the Sea of Galilee, if you'll do that. Now, the reason that that happened was, and the reason that he contacted a Syrian king was, Baasha, he got tired of all of those people leaving Israel, going down into Judah, and he wanted to figure out a way to stop it. So he decides, he takes all these building materials, and he decides to build a fort between Israel and Judah to stop the migration of people of going south. Instead of trusting in God, Asa contacts Ben-Hadad, a Syrian king, and he says, you attack the cities in the north and you attack the cities in the west of the Sea of Galilee. When he does, the Bible says that, though, that Baasha has to go and defend himself. So what does he do? He takes all of his men and he leaves the fort. On the scene then comes Asa and his men and he steals all of their building materials. And he takes those building materials and he takes it back to fortify his own cities. You know, I would imagine if you're talking about war and you're talking about from a fleshly standpoint, I would imagine you're talking about people that would admire what Asa did. But God did not admire him at all. In fact, the Bible says that he sent a prophet to him and told him this. He says, because you did not trust in me, because you trusted in a Syrian king instead of me, you have war now from now on. Can you imagine that? He was living in 14 years of peace. Before that, there was 10 years of peace. One little battle that he wins. You're talking about 24 years of peacetime. And now the prophet comes to him and says, because you didn't trust in God and you sought after a Syrian king, you've got war now from now on. Asa is so angry at the prophet, he throws him in prison. He's going to have battles now. Now, interesting, this was a righteous man. This was a good king that messed up. There was another time, too, that God was displeased with Asa. 
The Bible says that at some point in time, as he was elderly, I believe it was in the 38th year of his reign, I don't know all there is to know about it, but the scripture says he had diseased feet. Now, I can just imagine what diseased feet were. We can think about all manner of things. You know, my father was a diabetic, and he had problems with his feet and had to have toes removed and so on. Sometimes people can have all manner of things wrong with their feet and so forth. I don't know what was wrong with him. All I know is the Bible says that he had diseased feet. What does he do? What did he do that made God so angry and God so displeased? Simply this. He sought help of the physicians only and not God at all. You know, a minute ago we prayed for Sister Claretta. Now, we believe in prayer. Tomorrow, Lord willing, all goes well, she will go into surgery and have a hip replaced. All the praying in the world with nothing else to be done is not going to remove that old hip and put the new one in. You need a doctor for that. I do believe that God uses means too. And when we pray to God for someone to get better that's been sick, we pray that whatever means you choose, whatever it is. I once knew a man that thought, he said this to me one time, he says, you can't be a man of faith and believe in doctors. How absurd is that? In fact, he said this, he says, the doctors and the pharmaceutical companies are from the devil and the university and not from God. This is what he said, too. He said, they're all in it together. I said, how so? He said, it all begins with the farmer. The farmer puts it in the ground, and all of a sudden, the crops come up. Then they have pesticides that have to come in, so the planes sweep in, and they bomb the the, the crops out with these pesticides, chemicals designed to specifically make you and I sick on purpose. Then, what's going to happen? We grow up, we eat this stuff, we get sick, we go to the doctor. Doctor makes a whole lot of money. They're all in it together. Doctor sends us to the pharmacy, and the pharmacy pharmaceutical companies give us medicine they get the most amount of money and they're all in it together I'll tell you what folks if I get sick or if Tanner gets sick or Taylor or Tina we're going to the doctor praying the whole way God uses means too we pray for the doctors that they'll make the right judgments. We pray for the doctors that they'll make the right decisions. We pray for those that are in, that are caring for our loved ones when they're sick. What was the matter then with what he did? He went to the doctor. What was wrong is the Bible says he ignored God in doing so. He took God completely out of the picture and he trusted in the physicians only. And God was not pleased. Asa truly was a righteous king, and God blessed Judah in his day. Yet he was rebuked on occasion for not relying upon God as he should have. He didn't turn away from God to serve idols, but he did not rely on him in all the circumstances in his life like he should have done. You and I can learn lessons from this story, the story of Asa. We can learn lessons because sometimes we do that too. Sometimes things look dire. Sometimes things look difficult. What do we do? We fret about those things. We worry about those things. We talk to each other about those things. And we fail to talk to the one that can help. We fail to speak to God, the only one that can help. 
Somebody said one time that prayer is like a well who some people stand, draw, and drink, and others stand and die of thirst. You got to dip it in the well. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. Unclaimed promises are like uncashed checks. We pray to God for everything. We pray to God with, for everything that we have. We rely upon God for whatever means He chooses to help us. And then we roll up our sleeves and do our part. That's how we get through this. I'm going to tell you something. We can get through anything in the world if we have God and each other. That is truly a fact. Asa reigned for 41 years. He died and he was buried, the Bible says, in the city of David. The people came and burned an enormous quantity of spices and blended perfumes in his honor. This was truly a great man and the people loved him because of his service and devotion to God. So then on the scene now comes another king, his son, by the name of Jehoshaphat. His reign was 25 years. He also was considered a good king. He was truly a righteous man too. He followed in the ways of his father Asa. He continued the reforms that his father had begun. He removed the male shrine prostitutes, or the King James Version says he removed the sodomites that had reappeared in the land during his father's last years. What was the problem? The problem was the people were not completely and thoroughly devoted to God. That sounds familiar. Sometimes we as God's people aren't truly, thoroughly, and completely devoted to God. When Jehoshaphat was on the throne, he recognized that fact. He recognized that people were not totally devoted to God. There does come a time, though, when we have to rise up and walk. Little Claire was born not long ago. It's cute. We're sitting there and... Her mother is holding her and caring for her and will walk out of this building carrying her. That's all natural. We, we, we like all that because that's the way it needs to be. But there comes a time when she has to rise up and walk on her own. There comes a time when you have to make the determined resolve. I'm going to be devoted to God for the rest of my life. I'm going to be a member of the Lord's church and I'm not going to fall and I'm not going to give up and I'm not going to quit. In fact, I don't have any other plans for the rest of my life than to be a Christian. I think we have to make that determined resolve in our life. The question is, how is somebody today truly devoted to God? How do we demonstrate that? Sometimes people would say, well, it's, how, it's when you talk about God in a favorable way. Or it's when you feel good in your heart about spiritual things. These are wonderful things and these are byproducts, that's true. But the way that we demonstrate our devotedness to God is in our service to God. That's how we demonstrate how we are devoted to God. By our attendance of services, by our study of God's word, by our visiting the sick, by our encouraging one another, by us growing in the faith. There were three things that Jehoshaphat did that was noteworthy. One, he strengthened his kingdom. Edom was under the control of Judah at this time, and the Bible says that a deputy administered the territory of Edom for Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat stationed his troops in garrisons throughout the land of Judah and in certain cities of Ephraim, which Asa had taken from Israel. But the main point was this. 
Jehoshaphat sought the Lord instead of Baal. So God strengthened his hand, and he brought him riches, and he brought him honor, and he brought him all of those things in abundance. You know, because that's not what he was after. Remember when Solomon prayed? Solomon, oh, Solomon was led away. We'll touch on that in just a moment, just briefly. But before Solomon's heart was pulled away, when Solomon looked to the job of being king, when Solomon looked to all the things that he was going to do now and be the successor of his father, he felt himself to be a, a, a rather small man in comparison to the task at hand. So what he prayed for, not riches, not honor, not power, not might, not popularity, not an easy life. He prays for wisdom. He wants to be able to have the wisdom and the knowledge to lead God's people better and to live his life as the king and serve God's people better. And God says, not only am I going to give you that, but because you didn't ask for riches and honor and all of that, I'm going to give you that too. I'm going to bless you. You're going to be wealthy. You'll be the wealthiest man around. The same was true with Jehoshaphat. God blessed him monetarily because spiritually he was doing that which was right. Secondly, Jehoshaphat sends out princes and Levites and priests. He realized that Judah was not serving the Lord faithfully, that they were ignorant of God. You know, I really believe this today. I'm talking about society. I really believe that we are living in a Bible illiterate society. We live in a society where people are more drawn to a doctor's name with all the titles after it in society now is what I'm talking about than we are in society about what the grand old book has to say. There was a time, though, in days gone by, when people that didn't even have the truth, they at least made an attempt to study or know about God's Word. But today, we live in a Bible illiterate society. Is this anything new? It's nothing new. We can go all the way back to the kingdom of Judah when Jehoshaphat was on the throne, and he recognized a few things. One, he noticed that God's people were not or people in Judah were not devoted to God and then he realized why they were illiterate they were ignorant of God so he sends princes and levites to teach the people the law i'm going to tell you something folks when we're making bad decisions and wrong decisions we need to turn back to the word of God and have that burn deep within us they went out and they taught among all cities of Judah this was done in only the third year of his reign. And thirdly, Jehoshaphat grew in power. God gave Jehoshaphat peace. His neighbors, the Philistines and the Arabians, brought him great gifts. You know, this is a far cry from the time when under the judges, the period of the judges, for example, when Samson was living and he was judging God, and he judged Israel, the Bible says, all of those years, he had to fight against the Philistines. David, King David, as I already mentioned, the greatest king Israel ever knew, the most charismatic personality in all, maybe all of the Old Testament scriptures, the great singer of Israel, the greatest poet the world ever knew, all of that the greatest military strategist that they ever knew. And David had to fight against the Philistines during his entire reign. Look what God's doing now. God is rewarding 
righteousness and faithfulness with peace. With peace among enemies. And these enemies of God's people that were once horrible, fighting and warring against God, were bringing gifts to Jehoshaphat when he was on the throne. His army grew exceedingly mighty also. Notice, he had at his disposal an army of 1,160,000 besides those on garrison duty. And the reason for it is because God was on his side. It had nothing to do with his own power, his own might, or his experience. It was because God was on his side. More on Jehoshaphat in just a minute, but next let's skip to Ahab. You know, the Bible uses the strongest language to condemn the actions of Ahab. According to the text, one of the worst things that he ever did was to marry Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, the king of the Sidonians. The act would result in severe misery for both Israel and Judah as well. Urged on by his pagan wife, Jezebel, Ahab makes Baal worship the official religion in Israel. He also made an Asherah pole and had a temple built for Baal in Samaria. Because of all this, that's why God said that Ahab provoked him to anger more than all the kings of Israel that were before him. Historical note here. Jezebel, as I mentioned just a moment ago, being the daughter of Ethbaal, the king of the Sidonians, the names Jezebel and Ethbaal include the name of the false god Baal in them. That gives the first indication of how bad this marriage was for Ahab. Beyond that, Jezebel was another one of the foreign wives that a king of Israel married. And of course, the law of Moses repeatedly forbade such marriages. You know, it's just like with Solomon, the wisest man that the world ever knew. The wisest man in the land. 700 wives, 300 concubines, and guess what? Not one, not one was among God's people. Every single one of them was foreign, that had idol gods and so forth. You want to talk about strength and power and might? Solomon was a, was, a, was a strong man. He was a strong man in so many ways. A very wise man made a, made a poor choice. That tells me this too. That God can bless us with wisdom, but we have to apply the wisdom. He certainly didn't apply the wisdom regarding his wives. And what happened? The Bible says that those women, those wives, turned his heart from the Lord. And turned his heart away. That's what happens when we have associations and relationships outside the body of Christ. We need to be careful about that. But I want to notice the difference, though, between Baal worship and calf worship. We speak about calf worship when we talk about uh, Jeroboam, when we talk about all of those other things that we've spoke about in, in times past. What makes Ahab worse regarding the worship of Baal? What is the worship of Baal? What did they actually do? Who was this God? Well, there's a difference between Baal worship and calf worship. Both, though, did include idols. Baal worship, though, was worse in its consequences because the rituals involved in the worship were far more degrading. Baal, get this, and Asherah were gods of fertility. So the sin of fornication was part of their ritual in worship. 
The priest and the priestesses were male and female prostitutes. The morals of the people would plummet to the very depths when they would turn to Baal worship. Now, calf worship, on the other hand, now, it was wrong, and God did not accept it, but golden calves were theoretically representative of God. They still had their priest whose function was to offer animals on the altar. They still had their feast days and special occasions similar to those found in the law of Moses. But God did not accept the worship of golden calves either, but the worship was not as destructive to the morals of the people that were involved. This is but a small picture of the kind of king that Ahab was. I told you I was going to mention Jehoshaphat again. Now we're going to tie together a very poor choice. So far we're finding good things being spoken about Jehoshaphat and wise things being spoken about this king. All of a sudden now, as these kingdoms were, about, were closer in size in terms of its population, you have Jehoshaphat on the throne in Judah, you have Ahab on the throne over Israel, and even though that they didn't have a whole lot of active wars and battle between them, on this particular occasion of history, we find that Ahab and Jehoshaphat form a bond of peace. They form a bond of peace. This is the first time since the kingdoms had separated that official peace was to be made between them even though there was very little open warfare. At first glance, this would seem to be a good move for the kingdoms. We would think that any time that you're going to have a time of peace, wouldn't that be great? No, not at all. It was not. Look at the contrast between these two little kingdoms. One, none of the kings that Judah had up until this point were extremely wicked. In fact, none of the kings of Judah had ever tried to discourage faithfulness of those who wanted to worship God correctly, even when they were doing that which was not correct. You know, even when there were kings that sought after idols and did things that were wrong in Judah, they never tried to keep someone else from doing that which was right. You know, I'll tell you something. You know what I thought about? I thought about what happens when we make a decision about our own soul when it affects everybody else. I think about the father that leaves the church and then one by one, the rest of his family do too. I think of how sad that is. You know, I would imagine that if a person wants to go to hell, I would imagine, I guess a person has that right. I can't fathom that. But I guess the poor person has that right. It's their choice. But the problem is the far reaches of our decisions go way beyond that. I have to make the right decisions in my life so that my kids do the same thing. They're going to follow in my example one day. They really are. It was different with Ahab. Because not only did Ahab bring in Baal worship, and I told you how disgusting it was and morally corrupt that it was, he makes it the official religion and demands that the people would honor it. That's different. No wonder he provoked God to anger more than anyone. Israel had gone down spiritually from the day it began. When we look at these two kingdoms, 
Jeroboam right off the bat, son of Nebat, the Bible says. Right off the bat, what does he do? Brings in golden calves, brings in incense to burn on the altars. He uh, appoints any vagabond that would to be a priest of the high places. They went down spiritually from day one. But it was different for Judah. The kingdom of Judah was prospering because... Asa and Jehoshaphat had, had sought to bring people closer to God, and God rewarded them. Ahab not only allows Baal worship in the land, makes the official religion. Any contact between Judah and Israel could only prove to be a corrupting influence to Judah, and that's exactly what happened. You know, one of the great mysteries in Bible history is, how could Jehoshaphat, one of the greatest and best kings that ever reigned over Judah would ally himself with Ahab, the very worst king of all. We don't know. Well, as it was so often the case, the treaty of peace was sealed with the marriage of Jehoshaphat's son, Jehoram, and Ahab's daughter, Athaliah. Well, during this period of time, God strove mightily to bring Israel back to his side. And it was during the darkest hours of Israel the darkest hours they had ever seen as a nation that two great prophets come on the scene. One of them is Elijah and the other is Elisha. And you know much of the next times and the next events that we read about, about Ahab the king over Israel, is in dealings with these two prophets. You know, there are prophets in the scriptures like Elijah and Elisha. We've noticed other prophets in our Bible, Old Testament narratives and so forth. These were prophets, but they were not what we would consider literary prophets. A literary prophet is simply that. It is a prophet that has writings that bear their names. For example, there are 17 of those in the Old Testament. There are five that are considered major prophets and 12 that are considered minor prophets. The major prophets are Isaiah, uh, uh, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. The minor prophets are Hosea, uh, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, and Zechariah, Malachi. Those are the 17 prophets that were considered literary prophets. They had writings bearing their names. The major prophets were those that had longer writings. The minor prophets had shorter writings. But these were two prophets that were in the grand scheme of things regarding God's plan of trying to bring Israel back to him. These prophets come on the scene, and miracles come too. And that's the next things we're going to talk about is some of the history and some of the events that transpired with these prophets regarding Israel and King Ahab. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information, or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.